creativity became my salvation and I could relive past heartaches and past triumphs and past traumas, the the magic and the beauty of of the high Sierras and different gorgeous wildernesses I'd hiked through when I was 19. And it was sort of like a fantasy land I could sink into when reality got too hard to take. What does it mean to you to live your best and bravest life? Does it mean being strong and forthright? Do you think of bravery as a woman or a man in uniform wearing stars or medals? Or does it mean being vulnerable, honest and courageous in all that you do? It is my mission in life to help you feel brave and empowered to live as your authentic self. So join me in these inspirational conversations filled with tips and tricks to help you live your best and bravest life. I'm Tiffany Johnson, and this is the When We Are Brave podcast. Welcome to the When We Are Brave podcast. I'm so excited that you are here with me today. Welcome to spring. That's right. We have finally hit spring here in beautiful Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. And for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, welcome autumn or fall, depending on where you're listening from. I love the change of seasons. It's such a beautiful time to re-emerge, think about what's next. And what's next today is one of my writing heroes, Aspen Matus. Aspen is a New York Times best-selling author. She's the author of Girl in the Woods and Your Blue is Not My Blue, which is what we're going to be talking about on today's show. Aspen's story is tragic to start with. And her second night at college, Aspen was raped in her freshman year. She dropped out of college and decided that she would walk off her rape from walking from Mexico to Canada. Her book, Girl in the Woods, tells her story of how she came to find herself again and reclaim her body after her rape. What also happened on her journey was she met the love of her life. Her new book, Your Blue is Not My Blue, talks about the next chapter and what happened, which is a beautiful love story between Aspen and Justin. But the story does not have a Cinderella ending. Aspen's husband became a missing person. Having to write her book, Girl in the Woods, demands and pressures on her and not being able to find her beloved husband sent her on a traumatic path. Her book, Your Blue is Not My Blue, talks about this journey. It's told with vulnerability, strength, courage, and raw honesty that really dives deep into what happens when you lose a loved one and the heartbreak that comes with it. Aspen's writing style is delightful. It's a beautiful visual experience where you can sit in the space that she's in, feel her feelings and understand what is going on in that moment. And it's what I love about her writing. So when I got the opportunity to interview her, oh, I'm 
was over the moon. I was so nervous to talk to her, but she is just delightful, beautiful human being. And it was my absolute honor to have her on the When We Are Brave podcast. Now, before we get into any more about today's episode, I've got a few things I wanted to share with you. Now, one of them is so exciting. It's the winner, the winner of the competition. Aspen's book, Your Blue Is Not My Blue, is part of that competition. Now, if you've been listening recently, you will know that I was giving away to celebrate season two of the When We Are Brave podcast, a Laser 7 tablet already uploaded with five books, five books from some of the authors on this season. I thought it would be such a fun way to celebrate season two. The books on there include my book, Brave Enough Now, Aspen's book, Your Blue Is Not My Blue, Dr. Stefan Neff, My Steps to Sobriety, Wendy Bruton's book, Essentially Better, a book all about essential oils, and Tara Nielsen, who will be on the show later in the program, as will uh, Dr. Neff. Raised in Ruins is by Tara. Gorgeous book, another memoir about her life growing up in Alaska. So all of those together are on the tablet. How amazing! Oh, I'm so excited. And okay, so big announcement. There's my excellent drum roll. I'm getting better at that, aren't I? (laughs) And the winner is Amy from Ontario in Canada. Congratulations, Amy. Congratulations. You will be receiving your tablet in the post very, very soon. Fingers crossed, all going well with COVID in a worldwide pandemic. Now, don't forget the audiobook is available. Yes, it's on Audible, it's on iBooks, it's on Google Play. For those of you listening out there, make sure you go and grab your copy of Brave Enough Now as an audiobook. If you love audio and you love podcasts, you're going to love this. I would love to know what you think, so please contact me, send me a message, email, drop a Facebook message, an Instagram message. I would really love to hear from you. I've got so many exciting things in the pipeline to help you to feel brave. I've been busy creating. I've been busy making things. My mum's been on board. She's amazing. Thanks, mum. So I can't wait to share all of these exciting things that are coming your way to help you live your best and bravest life. So we move into this new season and a new way of living. I think that it's an amazing time to really connect with ourselves. I know I've been doing a lot of that lately. I need to do a little bit more. So I hope that you're going to love all the things that are approaching in the world of Brave. Okay, so let me fill you in a little bit more about the amazing Aspen. So Aspen Matus is the author, as I said before, of Your Blue Is Not My Blue, a missing person memoir. It was published by Little A in June of 2020 this year. Called Fearless, a beautifully written book of inspiration, courage and ultimate transformation by Booklist. The book was number one on Amazon bestsellers in memoirs. Now, let me tell you, that's a really big deal. Being a memoirist myself, that's a huge, huge big deal. will open the door to empathy, compassion and healing. Isn't that amazing? That's so amazing. Novelist. Amy Bender called Your Blue Is Not My Blue gorgeous, a gripping read that wrestles honestly and sensitively 
with the ways we connect and the ways we miss one another. Maidus's short form writing has been published in the New York Times, in the Atlantic, Tin House, Psychology Today, Salon and Marie Claire. Her first book has been critically acclaimed, which I mentioned before, the memoir Girl in the Woods, and was published by HarperCollins in 2015, called A Powerful Read by O, the Oprah magazine. I know, amazing. The book made The Guardian's annual top 50 list. The New York Times named Madis a hero. To learn more about Aspen, you can go to her website, www.aspenmatis.com. I will put all of those uh, connections into the show notes for today's interview. Like I said, she's one of my heroes in writing, and this interview was a beautiful highlight for me to connect with an incredible writer. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I loved connecting with Aspen. Welcome, Aspen Mattis, to the When We Are Brave podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show today. This is like a dream come true for me. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get to talk with you today. Yes, it'll be amazing. So I just wanted to do a quick intro for you. So you've been on this amazing, brave journey to write and share your personal experiences, first in Girl in the Woods, and now exploring your journey from finding Justin, who was your husband, to him disappearing in your new memoir, Your Blue is Not My Blue. I know how hard it was for me to summon the courage to share my story in writing Brave Enough Now. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how this experience has been for you, putting your life onto paper and sharing it with such vulnerability and passion and to have received such acclaim from places and publications such as the Oprah magazine, The Guardian, The New York Times, and now releasing the next chapters of your story? Yeah, so at first, um, the process of writing girl in the woods was very 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 scary um so the piece the the memoir began as a piece in the new york times um that was sort of a distillation of the whole story and it began with um the story of how on my second day of my freshman year of college before classes had begun before i'd like removed my colorful construction paper name tag from my dorm room door I was raped by another freshman at the college and um, and how I dropped out and in an effort to try to literally physically reclaim my body, I decided I was going to walk from Mexico all the way to Canada through California and Oregon and Washington State. Um, and I did. And so the book is about that. But in the original version of the essay, I wrote only about the hike, only about the the trek from um, from Mexico to, to Canada, and I didn't. I totally omitted um, the reason for the hike, which was the rape, and um, because the idea of you know strangers knowing that about me was just so ter- terrifying to me, yeah. <laughs> and. I didn't think that I would ever want, you know, even people who are close to me to know it, much less um, strangers. But then um, I had an amazing mentor who 
um, really just inspired her students and encouraged them to, you know, she said, secrets become lies and they consume you and mm -hmm. lead the least secretive life you can lead. And I really realized that the secret was consuming me. And um, once I did share it, um, I heard from so many other people who had been through similar experiences who also had kept their um, their trauma as a secret. And, and I, I saw how, you know, a rape is too big a secret to hold inside your body. It's like a dark, like a dark pearl and you kind of in your gut and you cramp around it and it consumes you and it becomes so much bigger than it. And, and it has so much more power over you than it would have if you just told it like it was and said what happened. And then you would see that like, you are not the, the terrible, disgusting, awful thing the rapist and it's something outside mm -hmm. yourself and calling a spade a spade and calling a rape a rape kind of makes it something separate from you and it kind of frees you to, or mm -hmm. freed me to a degree from it and so that was a really hard experience writing um the beginning of that story and then um girl in the woods was a very hard book to write in part because it was the story of um so in Bend, Oregon, after about 2,000 miles of walking, I met a man who it turned out was also walking from Mexico to Canada, and he had started off at the Mexican border just about um, two days after I had, and for about three months, we'd been within about a day's walk of each other, trekking north in sync, but, but we'd never met, and in Bend, Oregon, we finally met, and I thought he was super cute. And he thought I was super interesting. <laughs> and we decided we would finish our hike together. Um, and at that point, we were 600 miles from, from Canada. And we did. So we hiked those 600 miles together. And then at the end of the trail, we didn't want to say goodbye. And we ended up moving to Colorado together and then eventually to New York together. And um, in New York, I got the book deal for that story. And then the book was going to end with our wedding. And um, after three years of marriage, um, Justin went to um, the funeral of a mutual friend of ours who we'd met on the trail who tragically died when he was only 33. And, um, and I stayed in New York um, ostensibly because I had classes, but really honestly because it was just too sad and I didn't think... I could handle it. And that night, the night of the funeral, Justin didn't come home. And then the next day, he didn't come home. And then a week passed. Then two weeks passed. And his parents didn't know where he was. And his, his brother didn't know where he was. And it turned out no one knew where he was. And we soon realized that he was a missing person. And so I had to write Girl in the Woods. Mm -hmm. um, while I was grieving his absence and worried about him. And um, so right, basically I had to write our love story for my first book, which was a memoir, so it had to be nonfiction, on deadline um, in his absence. And that was a very specific form of psychological torture. And that was, <laughs> that was really hard. 
Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, and um, I, I loved um, your vulnerability and just how you really share that confusion and the it was just so random that all of a sudden you just didn't show up and so you describe that in your book your blue is not my blue and I loved it when I actually got to the point of the book where I read that phrase and it all made sense so the title of the book is fabulous because it really depicts who he was as a person really and so <laughs> yeah um so in your recent memoir your blue is not my blue you do talk in depth about your life experience that you had writing Girl in the Woods like you've just mentioned and how difficult it was. And you did continue to write when you had so many other challenges in your life at this time. So you were struggling with finances. You were strapped, broke. You were emotionally drained. You were wondering where on earth your husband was. Was he even alive? Was he missing? Had he been kidnapped? Goodness knows where he was. Was he dead in the bush somewhere? And then also because you had all of that going on you spiritually, you must have been depleted in every possible way and yet you still managed to continue to write something that was already challenging for you. And to do all of those things is so brave and spirited. How did you stay motivated to finish writing when you were faced with all of these challenges? Wow, that's a a great question and when I think about it now, I actually don't know what the answer is. Like I, <laughs> I think like if I had to do that again, I don't know if I could. <laughs> but I think in part, I think that the one thing that I still had in my life, like my husband was gone. Like I, yeah, as you said, I, I had no money. I, I was heartbroken and very lost. And I was, you know, drinking too much and trying to like, sedate myself from this reality and the one thing that I still had and that I like didn't want to mess up (laughs) was um was this book deal and I loved writing or I had loved writing um before he before Justin disappeared and it kind of became a a very necessary distraction at times (laughs) like almost a um like creativity became my salvation and I could relive past heartaches and past, um, past you know, triumphs and past traumas and you know the the magic and the beauty of of the high Sierras and different gorgeous wildernesses I'd I'd um, hiked through when I was 19 and it was sort of like a fantasy land I could sink into when reality got too hard to take. So in that way, it was it was really um, a salvation. But then sometimes, of course, like the the parts where I had to write about about Justin and our our early love, and you know the first time you know we had sex, or the first time I told him I loved him, like that was hard. That mm. was <laughs> yeah, it must have um, been really challenging, and yet you still did it. So you're incredibly vulnerable, brave, and special person to be able to share that with people because I think people can really connect with that especially that really intense first love I know I can connect with that myself Mm. you've overcome so much through your life from surviving rape you've walked the PCT which actually is on my bucket list to do um because I'm yay I'm I'm a hiker as well but I'm type 1 diabetic so (laughs) 
I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out for me. Um, and then you found your husband when you're on the trail and then you lost your husband as a missing person and yet you still managed to have this life, an ordinary, wonderful, extraordinary life. What are some of the tools that you use to help you overcome your fear so that you can live your best and bravest life? Mm. Wow. Well, I think like one of the like one of the message messages definitely of your blue is not my blue is that you know you're so much stronger than you might think you are, and you know you're so much more resilient than society you know might tell you that you are, especially as a woman and um but like for me the the tools that were my where my salvation might not be right for for other people, but for me, it was very necessary. Um, after you know, after about um, three months after Justin was gone, it was very necessary to stop drinking because I realized I was abusing it and I was using it in order to forget my <laughs> my mm-hmm. life and as an escape. And I mean, I wouldn't advise people to stop drinking if they're if they're doing it in a healthy way and they're not using it to sedate themselves but I certainly was and I found that in the in the sobriety I I I really found new new clarity and that all these things I was drinking to avoid were the very things I needed to face like Mm. it's kind of a cliche but it's true when they say the only way out is through (laughs) and I had to go through it um so that was one thing, definitely, um, stop, stopping abusing um, alcohol. Um, another thing was vulnerable and true and open friendship and mentorship. I had two really extraordinary people in my life um, at that time, and still, <laughs> actually. Um, and one of those people was a girl named Karina, who I just, you know, I'd met her by chance at two o'clock in the morning at a at a cafe in New York City called Cafe Reggio, a famous old cafe on on McDougal Street, and we just started talking. And then actually, I was eavesdropping on her conversation and kind of burst in, and then we just really connected. And that night, she ended up sleeping over at my apartment, and then the next night she slept over. And then the third night, this was before Justin was gone. Um, the third night, Justin cleared off a little. Uh, shelf for her in the bathroom so she could put her toiletries there because like it was just so clear that she and I were like just attached at the hip and really like in like inspiring to each other and and just magnetic to each other in this really uplifting way and so her name was Karina and she was just a wise (laughs) even though she's younger than I am um she was like a, a sage <laughs> to me mm-hmm. and still my best friend to, to this day. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and we really talked about what was going on rather than I think in previous friendships and, you know, friendships in my teens and, and early twenties, most of my friendships were like, you know, mostly about avoiding what was going on and less about facing and, probing what was really there and discovering um you know the gems in the 
in the dark caves <laughs> and but she was all about probing and facing what was there and so she, I mean she was just a, a godsend in, during that time and and to this day and then the other the other person was a mentor of mine who I call um, I changed her name in the book so um, I'll call her by that name so Nick uh, Nick Solomon who was a professor of mine at the new school and a writing teacher and she really taught me, she was the one who said, um, secrets become lies and lead the least secret of life you can lead. And she really showed me the alchemical magic of memoir and of writing the truth and of, you know, of, of not just holding everything inside and trying to grin and bear it, but instead of being authentic and brave and she really held my hand through a lot of hard times in the writing process um, yeah on your late night walks you talk about in your book in your blue is not my blue and her midnight walks her famous midnight. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really yeah I loved that as I'm normally well and truly asleep at midnight and <laughs> I thought you were all very brave wandering around New York City in the middle of the night <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, it is the city that never sleeps. I have been to New York and it is, um, it's definitely a a special place on our earth. It's really beautiful when you talk about your friend, Karina. I can completely relate to that. I have a best friend, Cassandra, and um, she's actually been on the podcast as well. And she was my lifesaver when I was in my darkest and darkest of days and to have that special friendship. I always refer it to similar like in Anne of Green Gables when Diana Barry and Anne connect and they're kindred spirits and it's that light globe moment, isn't it, when you meet that person and they're you're so drawn to them and it's like this magical connection that holds you and supports you and you hold them and support them and it doesn't matter whether – you are in your pajamas, you're, you know, dressed up fancy or you're, you know, crying or you're elated, that person is completely by your side. And having that support network when you are going through really tough times is so, so important. That's such a great tool for people to know that there is always someone out there that cares. And a lot of people feel so alone, especially during COVID. They're isolated, Mm. feel connected and there is always someone willing to listen. You just need to reach out and that could be online or it could be um, ringing a helpline, um, like someone like Lifeline or the Salvation Army. There will be always someone who is there to listen to you and who will support you. So that's such a great tool. Even if you don't feel that you have that one person or those many people or the family, whatever, there is always someone who will be there listening and ready to hear what you want to say and need to share. So mm, that's that's great advice. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wanted to say I I definitely um not during the time of your blue is not my blue, but before that, after after my rape in college, I used the um it's called the Rape Abuse and, and Incest National Network Hotline. Uh, the, the acronym is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, and it was, it's free, it's anonymous, and it's available 24 hours, so you can call any moment of the day or night and talk to someone who, who really will offer compassion and guidance and who's on your team, and it was just a godsend 
for me. And I, and yeah, I think anyone who's been through a sexual trauma or who knows someone who's struggling with that, it's a great resource. And I know there are many others, many other resources out there like it too. Mm, yeah, great point. Thanks for mentioning that, Aspen. That is very, very important. And the shame that goes with all of that is so consuming. It eats you alive. And to have the courage to share that takes oh, a big, deep breath. But once you do share that and have that support, um, it will be easier. And like you say, you do need to move through it to get to the other side. But there is always a light at the other side, which brings me into my next question. Because I would love to know what you're doing now. So you've written these two beautiful and amazing memoirs. You've written for the New York Times. What is it that you're up to these days? <laughs> well, at the moment, I'm just visiting my parents here in <laughs> in Newton, Massachusetts. Um, but um, and I know everyone is having such a hard time with with COVID and mm. and the challenges it presents and the way it changes. You know, we have so much less freedom to to connect with people in person. So. Um, it's really good to see them. I hadn't seen them in, in four and a half months. <laughs> mm. um, but um, creatively, I'm actually currently working on the third memoir in um, this kind of trilogy. And I think this will be the, the final one. Um, and it, it picks up where your blue is not my blue left off. Um, and... Well, I don't know how to summarize it too quickly, but basically um, a close friend of mine um, named Tori um, passed away at only 25. She Mm -hmm. just went to sleep and didn't wake up and she had been healthy and vegan and she swam every day and she was very fit and it was a total, total shock. and she was a friend who had like stayed with me um, for extended periods in my apartment that I called the Ballerina Nest mm. in New York. And she was an artist, an amazing illustrator. And her death was just a, a complete mystery. Um, and um, so her, so the book begins with that. And um, her boyfriend at the time um, called me and, and told me the news and. Um, he had been with her for two years and he and I decided after a few phone calls that we wanted to take a trip together, a road trip together in Tori's honor and her memory back to this little seaside town on the Pacific ocean, um, on the California coast called Pescadero, California. And the three of us had all been there, Tori and, and Daniel and I had all been there together just just about 10 months before um, on a on a road trip kind of artist retreat together and so we decided we wanted to return there in her honor and and just kind of grieve together and share our memories of her and so um, so we did that and the book is about that road trip and and it's about you know the um, it's it's really my my effort to honor Tori's brilliance and her light and her magic, and also um, it's also 
a very, I, I hesitate to use this word, but um, it's also kind of a love story. So that was two and a half years ago that Tori passed away and, and that Daniel and I took that road trip. We took it about a month after she, she died and we never said goodbye. And so two and a half years later, he is here with me at my parents' <laughs> house right now visiting them. <laughs> and we've just kind of been, we're both writers, so we can both work um, from anywhere. And we've just been traveling together and trying to live in Tori's honor ever since. And mm. so the book is called Magic Afterlife. And afterlife is two words, um, a memoir of grief and wonder. Mm, beautiful oh I can't wait to read that what a journey you've been on how and how wonderful a gift you have to be able to share that I know that um, when I wrote Brave Enough Now I have dedicated that to my friends that were lost in the Swiss canyoning disaster and I wrote it very much from my own point of view of what happened to me and my journey into why I was in got became in the canyon on that day but um, it's something very special about honouring those who we have loved um, to be able to put that into paper and and share their memory and share their experiences in our own way as our own story. But that's a beautiful gift, beautiful gift. Thank you. And, and you as well. You're so brave to, to have faced all of that again in the process of writing your memoir. So mm. that's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So if people want to find you, I'm going to put a link to your books on the show notes for today's episode. Um, and if people want to connect with you, what's the best way that they can contact you? Um, probably the best way is actually either through Facebook, um, adding me on Facebook and messaging me or through Instagram. Okay. Because um, those are the places I actually check. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Fantastic. So we can put those, um, your links to Facebook and Instagram on the show notes for today as well. It has been such a highlight to have you on the When We Are Brave podcast, Aspen. You are absolutely a brave, courageous, strong woman who is inspiring people across the globe with your beautiful gift of the written word. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been just the the most amazing conversation and you're you're fantastic at this. You're you're very gifted at just lis like listening and bringing out honesty and and creating like a a really safe space for for vulnerability and and yeah, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was it was really special. Oh, thank you so much. It's so important that we're able to do that because that in itself is so brave. And when we really tune into who we are, I always say when you believe in yourself and you're authentic with who you are, which can be so hard and that takes so much bravery to do that, but mm. that is when the magic comes your way and it really does spread like wildfire for other people to join in. And I think that a lot of people are going to be feeling very inspired and motivated and encouraged and and honoured to hear your story today. So thank you. Thank you. I just love how Aspen shares her story with us with such dedication, vulnerability, openness and the rawness that goes with living life. We all have to live life and we all have to face different challenges. 
And knowing where we are in life and then really taking a good look at ourselves takes incredible bravery. And Aspen's one of those people. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure you go and subscribe to the When We Are Brave podcast. And if you could, please leave a review. Reviews help other listeners out there find the When We Are Brave podcast. And if that means that this podcast can help someone in their life to feel brilliantly brave, then that is a gift. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, if you'd like to find out anything else about me or the movement of bravery in your life, make sure you head over to tiffanyjohnson.com.au. I've got a whole bunch of freebies on there. There's my five insights to being brilliantly brave free ebook. So make sure you go and download that today. I've also got my free Brave Hearts group on Facebook. It's filled with meditations, inspiration and encouragement to you to live your best and bravest life. It's a beautiful group of people from all across the globe. So make sure you go and check that out too. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. I'm kind of everywhere. Or you can go to my website and send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I always love hearing from listeners out there. So my friends, be brave. Until next time, and live your best and bravest life.